contrary to popular belief, professionalism is not dead on football and other F-words. Welcome to Football and Other F-Words. I'm your host, Michael Gillum, joined by Michael Herndon and Zach Lyons. The three of us are brought to you by broadwaysportsmedia.com. We'd love for you to check us out. Please come check us out. It's called broadwaysportsmedia.com. We really think you would like it. It's got our podcast. It's got a bunch of writing about football and the things that you love. Honestly, how long have you been listening to this podcast? If you haven't gone to that website, like what's wrong with you? Broadwaysportsmedia.com. Come check us out. Uh, gentlemen, we actually have a lot to discuss today, which I'm very happy about because we're in the depths of offseason now. As soon as the draft happens, there's a little bit of flair around undrafted free agents, and then the league just dies. <laughs> we actually have a lot to talk about today. Yeah, we got, we got some interesting topics, some topics you, you're probably like, oh my God, are we talking about this again? Or, oh my gosh, we're going to talk about him again. But, you know, it is what it is. It's our show. Deal with it. Well, we just started by, you know, obviously right before we get on the show, we kind of do a rundown with ourselves about what we're going to discuss. And much to the chagrin of Zach, the entire show is dedicated to Isaiah Wilson. Uh, so, um, <clears throat> number two on my five most annoying things about the Titans offseason. I wanted to see Zach's video feed just go dark and then he leaves. <laughs> he's, he's out. He just takes the headset off and drops the mic. I'm gone. Yeah. And, hey, listen, and when I drop the mic, we can hear it advertised on 104.5 about 30 fucking times a day. <laughs> oh, God. I, I just, I can't listen. I try to withhold. They literally drop the mic. Yeah, I try to withhold my criticism, but the big voice crap and then the new producer that they brought on for 3HL, I mean, they're going for straight 1994 talk radio, and it, it's, it's not great. I can't it's wait for the rubber cheap. chicken noises to play. Yeah, seriously. You know, those kind of sound effects. Like, I'm just leaving the jackal. Seriously, I'm just waiting for Cooter and Douche in the morning. Wake <laughs> up with the douche. It's the douche. We're here with all the sports douche you need. Spray it all over you. All right, I'm sorry. That's fucking disgusting. So um, let me shift and talk about something else that's disgusting. According to Ian Rappaport, uh, Ian Rappaport and pretty much everybody else who reports in the NFL, the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to sign Tim Tebow to a one-year deal. Now, the deal has not happened yet, but the best part is, is that Tim Tebow apparently is going to play tight end. Um, oh, God, who wants to start with this? Michael, please, by all means, go. Listen, he's a 33-year-old who hasn't been in the NFL in like a decade, uh, and they're signing him to play a position he's never played before. And there's one snap of him being targeted <laughs> as a uh, pass catcher for the Jets. And I don't know if it was a preseason game or what the context was, but it is hilarious. It's floating around out there. If you haven't found it yet, uh, just go search Twitter. Just go search Tebow in, in videos and you'll find it uh, pretty soon. But it's really funny. The, the ball almost hits him in the head and he looks like he's trying to like defend him. He's like trying to protect his face despite having a face mask on. Um, but it's, uh, it's really hilarious. But this is one of those things that this is why I think Urban Meyer is not going to work at the NFL. I don't think he understands the dynamics of an NFL team. And look, I, there was a tweet out there. I think it was uh, Judy Bautista. Uh, tweeted out that very clear Urban Meyer believes Tebow would be good influence in the locker room as he seeks to change culture in Jacksonville. But first, Tebow has to make the team. They need a pass-catching tight end, but he's a long shot. Listen, 
that tweet is an adventure first of all but <laughs> the uh <laughs> the idea that a 33 year old who hasn't been in the league in a decade and is mostly a punchline around the NFL is going to come in as a tight end and change your culture is absurd NFL players respect guys who have done it in the NFL and are good at their jobs because you know why they want to win and they want to be a part of a winning team and a team that does things the right way. Bring Tim Tebow in and he's going to pray over your meals and be a really, uh, you know, upstanding guy isn't, isn't going to change a single person in there. In fact, I think it's going to make them respect urban Meyer less than they already would have because look, now you're bringing in your buddy that you coached in college and, and trying to give him a job at a position that he's never played before after playing minor league baseball for the past 10 years. What are we doing here? Like, are we, are we trying to be an NFL team or what's going on? Um, that's the way I think they're going to look at it. Veteran players aren't stupid. They know what this is. Um, it's ridiculous. And, and, and Urban Meyer is is – continuing to make decisions that make me think this is going to be an utter disaster uh, at the NFL level. And I cannot wait to see it. Full disclosure, we're three white guys, by the way. So when I say this, I, I say it with, with pure, pure conviction. This is white privilege all <laughs> smattered around like fucking mayonnaise on white bread. This is fucking ridiculous. And let me say this. This guy's going to improve your, your locker room culture. Tim Tebow, who was on a team with murderers, with racists. I mean, give me a fucking break back in college. And you think that your team, your culture is going to look at this guy and scream because I've already seen many players, even Daquan Jones tweeted this morning. And damn it, I just lost it. Um, he tweeted this morning. I'll pull it back up. But players are not fooled by this. They see white privilege. I mean, just that's what this is. This is ridiculous. There's no way that this motherfucker should have got a job. And the only reason he got a job is because the Jaguars made the piss poor decision of Urban Meyer. And he continues to make piss poor decisions. Listen to this. This Tebow, this is from Daquan Jones on Twitter. This Tebow deal just shows that personal relationships go further at this level than actual ability. <laughs> and, and that's from Daquan Jones, who's like the least controversial player in the entire NFL. I don't think he's ever said anything of interest before that. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. But here's the thing. He's probably going to catch a touchdown again, a touchdown against the Tennessee Titans. Let's let's all be realistic here. Somehow, some way, this motherfucker's going to find the end zone, and we're going to be the only. The Tennessee Titans are going to be the only team that let this guy score a touchdown all fucking year. And that's 1, just that's just thousand percent. And Rashawn yeah. Evans is going to get juked out of his fucking shoes somehow by this mayonnaise bread bitch, and he's gonna <laughs> he's gonna find the end zone. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to suck, but I will laugh. It'll just be funny at that point. But, I mean, this is just, just mind-boggling stupid. And, and you're right, Mike, and most of the people have already come out and said this. Obviously, Urban Meyer has no clue how to manage a relationship or cultivate relationships or build a proper culture in the NFL. You cannot sweep things under the, lug. You can, or under the rug. You cannot 
spoon feed your beliefs to college players because these are a free thinking adults who have probably seen this happen a lot of times. And don't forget, Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> I mean, you think these players have forgotten that how the league treated Colin Kaepernick and and haven't appropriately given him a chance, which look, there's a lot of layers to the Kaepernick thing, but you turn around and give Tim Tebow a chance. I know it's at a different position, but this guy who kneeled before Kaepernick granted it was for religious purposes, but I mean, let's, let's, let's call it like it is. This is just fucking ridiculous. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. And your players are not going to fall for it. This is going to hurt the locker room more. And I'm here for it. I mean, I've already forgotten about Deshaun Watson. I mean, Let's. I mean, where's he at? We haven't heard a, a peep out of them about Deshaun Watson or from the lawyer, either side lawyer's camp. That's still hanging over the Houston Texans. I don't know what's going to happen with the Colts, but I'm waiting for some kind of bomb to drop with the Colts because that's the only thing that we haven't had besides, you know, the bomb that is Carson Wentz's career. I'm, you're so, <clears throat> excuse me, you're so dead on about, Tim Tebow is going to score against the Titans and the Titans are probably going to beat them by three touchdowns. And all ESPN is going to be able to do is go crack a Toa all in their pants while they show Tim Tebow highlights of him scoring this one touchdown in which they lost by three touchdowns. I, I'm, I'm telling you, it's absolutely going to happen. The first time that Tre- the first time that Trevor Lawrence's Trevor Lawrence throws two interceptions in a game, skip Bayless Monday <laughs> on first take. will say, is it time to put Tim Tebow in? Oh, God. You're you're dead on because the Jaguars, I mean, look, we've talked about it nonstop. If the Jags get to seven wins, they have massively overachieved this season. So if they're sputtering around four wins, which is exactly, I expect them to be between somewhere in four and five wins. You're right. Every single talking head out there. Shouldn't they just give Tebow a chance? Someone tweeted yesterday. I wish I could give him credit for it, but I can't find who actually wrote the tweet said, that Urban looked at Taysom Hill and said, I want a much worse version of that. <laughs> and that's dead on, dead on. It's crazy. The whole situation's nuts. Well, and it's just, it's stupid because it, Mike McCartney tweeted out yesterday, this guy's a former NFL scout. Um, I've been getting calls from guys who haven't played in seven plus years, including one who's been out of the league for 15 years. Thanks, Urban. So <laughs> yeah. that's... But it really does suck because there's going to be a couple of decent athletes that are on the bubble that end up getting cut. And, you know, on their way out of the facility, they're going to be thinking to myself, thinking to themselves, I'm leaving. Other teams have been inquiring about picking me up yet. Tim Tebow's in there. And the only thing he's doing is handing out, you know, birthday cards and patting people on the back and giving speeches in the locker room and not catching passes as a tight end. So good luck, Urban. And listen, if, if he's in there in the locker room giving speeches, that that's even worse because that yes. would be like that would be like on the Titans if Tommy Hudson got up before training camp on the first day and said, All right, guys, let's let's sit down. I've got I've got something I gotta say. Like like th- this this is my point about the whole like locker room culture thing being such a ridiculous statement. Like bringing in Tommy Hudson would change the uh, Titans entire locker room. This is like your eighth tight end on your roster. He's the bottom of the barrel. He was sitting there unavailable because nobody wanted him to play football for 10 years. So let's, let's stop with this idea that he's completely changing anything. Ridiculous sideshow. 
even in college, I never really found him to be particularly fast. Like no, he's, not, he's fast. not fast. I mean, he ran a 4.71 40-yard dash back in 11 years, years ago. ago. Yeah. <laughs> and we're, we're going to expect him to be faster than that or fast enough to be a tight end at, at this level. I know he's been training for it, but shit. I mean, I could, I could probably spend, you know, a lot of time training too. Doesn't mean I should be going out there and be, being a tight end. I mean, it's just, it's just so stupid. I mean, this was a stupid move, especially when there are actual tight ends with, with actual experience that are in shape that you could have signed. I, I just, I don't, this is, and I think it was a pro football network um, co-founder or founder that tweeted out, well, this is great for a small market team. Sure. I mean, sure. I mean, they're in the news and stuff, but they are constantly in the news for the wrong reasons. And if, if I, I would be embarrassed to be a Jaguars fan, even more so than I would be to be a Jaguars fan on a normal day. The, the Jaguars have won back to back to back to back to back to back offseason championships. They do this every year where everyone's like, oh, look what the Jaguars did. And then they go two and 14 or, or four and 12 or whatever. And everyone forgets again. And then next season, it's the same thing. It's the same thing every year. Last year was Minshew mania. Look, they've got uh, Gardner Minshew. This kid's fun. He's got a mustache. What happened? They went one and 15. I mean, let's let's be honest. This is what the Jaguars are. And winning the offseason has never done them a bit of good. They're still going to move to London in a couple years, and it is what it is. Like, this is a failing franchise. That's all the Jaguars are. They're the joke of the NFL. They will remain the joke of the NFL until further notice. I would love to know Trevor Lawrence's thoughts on it. Not, not that he feels like he's got some sort of competition here, but just like – Obviously, this is the team that had been talking about picking you first for quite a while, and they did. I mean, how much more of a fake smile do you have to put on yourself about an organization that clearly has taken some steps backwards and is being led by an egotistical dumbass who just wants to bring his buddies in and get them paid? I mean, Urban Meyer is turning into the Adam Sandler of the NFL. Let's get everybody in real quick. Let's get all my buddies quickly paid. And when this thing tanks at the fucking box office, I'm going to disappear for three to five years. Rob yeah, Schneider if Kevin James shows up a strength and conditioning uh, uh, coach, we, we got a real problem here in the NFL. Listen, uh, if you're the PR director or the director of communications for Jacksonville and he's putting out these quotes about how he's going to change a lot, at what point do you go down and take Urban Meyer's phone away? You are not allowed to talk to anybody outside this because this is like your racist uncle, drunk uncle at a, at Thanksgiving, just talking and talking and talking and just word vomiting nonsense because it's just nonsense that Urban Meyer is saying that this guy's going to change the culture and improve the team. There's, I know he's a back-end mm. roster guy, but get an actual tight end. Yeah, and you know who's supposed to change the culture of the locker room? I don't know. Let's start with the fucking head coach first and foremost. And if you can't motivate your guys in the locker room to incur some natural leadership and you feel like you've got to bring in someone like Tim Tebow to do that, dude, you're already failing. You're already failing. I'm, and I'm just an idiot man in front of a microphone who, who runs my mouth for not even a living. We do this for free. And I can tell you that that's wrong. So it just, it's, it's silly, and I couldn't wish it on a better organization. Good luck, Good luck Jacksonville. And thank uh, you for just, doing this for our podcast, too. I mean, like yeah, this was seriously. great content. 
No, it's great content because there was it was early yesterday morning. I made a comment in Slack where I was like, well, it's off season. What do you all want to talk about? Well, <laughs> Urban Meyer took care of that for us. So let's let's discuss rookie minicamps. A few rookie minicamps started up. Um, let me see. One was a, was it over the weekend or was this on Friday? Yeah, over no. the weekend. So over the weekend, and uh, according to Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk, near perfect attendance at initial rookie minicamps. And wow, surprise, surprise, after all of that posturing, it looks like that uh, rookies decided, you know what, I would actually like to be in the facility in case, oh, I don't know, I actually get hurt. It just, it's silly. Zach, please, by all means, open the floodgates. I mean, we, we, we've, we've talked about it over and over and over, and people still do not get it. They just don't get it. This is a stupid, stupid stance for the NFLPA to take. And, and I hate it that a player got injured and it magnified the stupidity of the NFLPA even more. And I hate that that player probably cost himself upwards of, you know, 10 to $15 million, depending on which report you see. It, it's, it's, it, it's, it sucks for him. It sucks for the player, but that is what the NFLPA never takes into consideration. They don't take into consideration workout bonuses they don't take into consideration other people's contracts they don't take into consideration guaranteed money that is tied to injury they didn't take the, any of that into consideration and i really don't know what they took into consideration besides their laziness because at first the big thing was oh this is to protect us from covid right they sent out this thing a, a couple of months ago Big, long, uh, two-page statement, and there was COVID in there at least four to five times, and that was one of the main reasons. And then a couple of weeks ago, J.C. Treader and them come out and say, oh, well, it's not about COVID. Oh, blah, 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 blah. It's about other stuff. Okay? And then just this past week when they came out in response to the NFLPA or the NFL's statement about um, Juwan James, they then bring up COVID again. So it is – so – they don't even know what they're talking about at this point. It is what it is. And it is what we have been saying since the beginning. When this first happening, veterans that expensive high end veterans, the top 10% and I may be being generous that with that number, maybe just eight or, you know, 5%, the top 5% of the NFL players are lazy they feel that they've gone through enough, hence the big contract, and they want to do stuff on their own terms and don't want to have to go to uh, OTAs, which they don't have to, but then they want to keep their, their job safe by not having a rookie come in or having a uh, maybe a secondary tier kind of player come in and maybe take their uh, chances at starting away. They, they want to have their cake and eat it too, and it backfired in a big way with Jawan James. And it backfired again in their face when rookie men in camps were again near perfect attendance because that's what rookies should do. If I'm a rookie, I'm going in because first off, I want to get a contract, right? If I'm a fifth round pick and I get injured off site and it ends my my season, my contract could be considerably less than what it what it normally could have been. I may not even get a contract. I may just get cut. I'm going in and protecting myself. So I'm going in and showing this team that just invested and put faith in me that I'm committed to them. And I am going to be there. And, and listen to this. Peter King wrote an article about it. 
and I'm very surprised at the people that are coming on the NFL side because they're people that normally would sign with side with the players. PFT normally side with the players. Peter King, I feel like it would normally side with the players. Even Mitchell Schwartz is coming out and saying how stupid this all was. But yesterday he said, this is, and I quote, some uh, Monday, Monday, I think he does football morning in America. Some players have lucrative offseason workout bonuses built in their contracts. Duh. The union won't urge those players to stay away, even though they did. But for the majority of players, a per diem of $235 is paid each day they are on the premises. As one club official told me the other day, how about the guy making the minimum who has to work out anyway? If he lives in the city he plays in, he goes to the team facility with state-of-the-art equipment. He probably gets breakfast, probably gets lunch, and it's healthy, a healthy breakfast and lunch. He can watch tape, meet with his coaches, and he gets a 1000 bucks a week. Some guys need that money in the offseason. There's a lot of those guys and rookies who want to get started than there are guys making $7, $10, 15000000 million a year. That's exactly what we've been saying since the beginning. And we are not execs. We are not coaches. We are not sports agents. We're not NFL players. That is common sense. That is, that is league-wide common sense that the players are lacking because the players are not educating themselves on the proper information and are blindly following a guy like DeMar Smith, who should never been reelected when the NFLPA elections came up, and J.C. Treader, who does not have the, the players that, that make up the majority of rosters, does not have their best interests at heart. Yeah. So sick of it. Fucking losers. Zach covered it all. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. There's not a whole lot to add to that. I think it's it's ridiculous. They're just yeah, they, it doesn't make any sense. The fact that they blamed COVID initially and then backtracked and then re-blamed it uh just makes them look even worse. It just makes them look stupid and like they don't know what they're doing. Um, and and frankly, it makes them look like, you know. Honestly, the way, you know, COVID has affect everyone uh, on earth, you know, in, in some form or fashion. So the fact that you're using that as, as kind of a pawn in your game to try to manipulate your way out of going to voluntary OTAs. If you don't want to go, just don't go. That's the, that's the whole thing that is crazy about this deal is it's like, it's not like you're trying to get out of work that, you know, teams are making you do. If you don't want to go, don't go. If you do want to go, do go. There's consequences to both decisions, and I get that. But that's just what you got to live with. If you're an adult, you have to make decisions that have consequences. So, sorry, you can't just get out of going to work and not have any consequences for it. So, I mean, that's that's what it is. Well, and then Tom Brady's six-minute uh, spiel that I guess fell on deaf ears for the rookies. Uh where he's talking out against OTAs and he's coming up with all this stuff that they don't do in OTAs. Like they don't wear pads. They wear a helmet. They wear shorts. They do one-on-one drills. They don't bang into each other. They don't tackle. They don't do this. They don't do that. They hit a couple of dummies and they walk around like it's, it's more to get to see where your players are at mentally to see where they're at in their conditioning without pads on I mean, and it's something that they negotiated in 2011. So it ha- it's barely been 10 years, and they didn't bring it up this last go-around in the CBA. So obviously everybody is okay with it. Now they saw that, oh, maybe we can get away with not going to OTAs, even though that injuries skyrocketed <laughs> with, the, with the shortened offseason. And the other thing is this. 
this is not the hill to die on. The union dies on these strange, odd hills every year. This is not the one. You need to be fighting for stuff that actually fucking matters and helps with the players. And that's the failure of the union leadership that is driving me up the wall is that the union leadership, both the players' side of the leadership and Demora Smith, are failing the players and the league as a whole by not taking better, not having better battles. They're, they're having the worst battles that make them look foolish and stupid on a regular basis and doesn't look like they know what they're doing. They need to improve their, their strategy and game plans if they truly want to help the health of the players and the long-term health and of the game. They need to do a better job of attacking topics that actually fucking matter. Well, if you're a veteran, you're, if you're in someone in a position that you feel like that your position is that secure, that you don't need to go to voluntary, you know, OTAs, good for you. You know, and if you're that calm, do that, yeah. some of them already do that, you know? Yeah. He has made a, an effort of doing that. I mean, he gets paid yeah. tens of millions of dollars and doesn't ever go to OTAs. And I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I think Tom Brady has skipped a few OTAs. You don't have to go unless you have a workout bonus that you are being paid to, which probably means that you have failed or had a problem with conditioning at some point. And, I mean, and, and let's also say like what the OTAs are really for. Like this is what they're really good for new guys, young guys that haven't been with the team for 10 years. I mean, like a guy like Lawan, who's been here for, I think this will be his eighth year or something like that. He's been with this coaching staff for a while. He doesn't really need OTAs. If he's not there, especially considering he's coming off injuries, no big deal. I mean, not a problem at all. He knows the offense. He knows, he knows how they practice, but what it is, is it's learning how to practice and they're doing it in a, a walkthrough speed and, and they're doing, you know, some drills that they're going to do once they get to training camp and teaching them how to do the drills. Cause not every team does drills exactly the same. Not every team practices exactly the same. It's starting to, to get like new guys accustomed to that young guys accustomed to that. So the wind training camp gets here, they aren't suddenly, you know, having to teach guys how to practice uh, before they can actually practice. Right. So it, it is important time, especially for new guys, young guys who aren't used to this team and how they operate in a practice. All, all coaches do it differently. All coaches run different drills. They want to see things done differently. And this is about acclimating to that before training camp really gets rolling. Cause once training camp's here, it's go time. It is time to ramp up for the season and, and get guys ready to go. The players that need to be ready to play week one are the guys that are going to get the reps. So it's about getting those other guys reps, opportunities, give them a chance to see what they've got and teach them how to practice in your system like that. That's what it's for. And it's meaningful stuff. I mean, and, and guys should not be talked out of going because a few rich veterans just don't want to do it. You know, it's bullshit. That's why it bothers me to hear someone like Tom Brady to stand up and, and give, you know, a, a long speech about something like that is because Tom Brady is at the pinnacle of the type of NFL career that any guy would want to have in just, you've got personal trainers, you have personal dietitians, you have, you have someone who's basically controlling your entire life about what you put in your body, how you work out, how you maintain your body in the off season. And he has absolutely 0.0 risk of losing his starting job. I mean, this is a man that left one team that brought them numerous Super Bowls of the Patriots, goes right down to Tampa Bay and brings them a Super Bowl. This man is not going to lose his job until his body snaps in half on the field. And they're like, oh, my God, we literally cannot put Tom Brady back together again. So it just it's disingenuous 
to have him stand up and give a speech about why it's valuable for them to miss OTAs. A lot of these guys, and this is what bothers me about having the veterans that stand up behind it is like, how many of those veterans were those rookies, were those younger players that needed those OTAs to get a heads up to, to not only learn the system, but to get a little more face time with their coach and, and to be able to have some extended time to show their talent. It's just bullshit. And the parallels between the NFLPA and American politics, they, they, it's very similar to where all of a sudden you're like, man, as a U.S. citizen, I need like these X, Y, and Z actual things in my life some help with with the government and they're like oh yeah well what about these crazy social issues have you thought about those and so you're like that's not what really that has no effect with me i'm going broke well the nflpa is the same way it's like oh well you need to focus on these otas why are we showing up for them like bro how about extending my health insurance out 10 years past when i'm you know no longer in the league how about we start working on things that actually fucking matter well so let's talk about this Tom Brady and a lot of these guys, especially Tom Brady, let's let's use him as an example. You know, he has millions of dollars and resources to to probably have his own state of the art facility at his house. He has probably 30,000 trainers on call and he can afford all this. He can afford to have and stay in the best shape of his life. You know, Ramey McMath or Racy McMath does not have that. He does not have the 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 wallet or the backing to be able to go and fly out to California and go to a state of the art facility and have a dietitian follow his every move and have massages and blah, 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 blah. He doesn't have those resources. He's trying to make a a roster. The same could be even said for a veteran um, like uh, Rashad um, uh, Davis. That is that is a back end or Cody Hollister, you know, the people like that who are just trying to make a roster, just trying to make ends meet and trying to achieve a dream. These people don't have the resources that these top end top caliber NFL players do. And and that's fine. Right. I mean, that's they're they're not as talented, blah, blah, blah. But don't in, encourage which they are, don't encourage them to try to sit out and lose money because let me say this, if Cody Hollister doesn't go to OTAs, he's he's going to be lagging behind everybody else. I know he's been on the Tennessee Titans for a while, but he still probably needs those OTAs. He needs that FaceTime. He needs to go watch tape, talk to coaches. He needs that, that time. And you're basically trying to derail hundreds upon hundreds of people's careers just because you're fucking lazy. And let's say 22-year-old Tom Brady that was sitting behind Drew Bledsoe, I guarantee you he wasn't skipping a single day of OTAs. And let me say, OTAs were harder back then. Well, that's true, too. Yeah, uphill both ways to the facility in the snow. Um, <laughs> I, I want to pivot and talk about something I know that uh, that both of you have strong thoughts on. Um, an article came out yesterday in The Athletic. Uh, basically, um, NFL execs, unfiltered and anonymous, of course, um, basically reacting to the drafts of all 32 teams. So for the Tennessee Titans, what was written, and um, and I'll quote a little bit of it, and I don't want to quote all of it, but um, Caleb Farley at number 22 seemed like a risky pick for the team. Um, talking about the Titans, whose 2020 first-round choice, Isaiah Wilson, is already out of the league. Uh, and here's the quote in the article. If the corner, talking about Farley, is a good player, God bless them, but his medical was terrible, an executive said. You look at Isaiah Wilson pick last year, and then you have Rashad Weaver in the fourth round this year with an assault case that comes out. 
Then you go back and you look at all the fifth-year options that were declined, and then the one they picked up was for Adoree Jackson, who they cut. There are a lot of mishaps there, and it just seems like they aren't being talked about. I, okay, a anonymous sources in politics, in life, in sports have a place. But you do have an entire article that's quoting anonymous sources, right? And we are talking about NFL execs who love to kind of shit on each other's team, shit on each other's draft picks. Mike, is there any truth to this? Is it just anonymous venting? What do you think? There's definitely some truth to it, right? I mean, we've talked about, you know, John Robinson's first round hit rate hasn't been tremendous. And obviously coming off the Isaiah Wilson thing and then the Rashad Weaver thing, we talked about that, what, last week or week before, you know, they need to be better clearly at identifying some of these issues that are popping up in the background you know they as far as getting background on guys and everything like that um that being said yes you can take issue with the the fifth round or the fifth year option pickup rate and everything but i mean if we go back and look at them individually i think you start to see there are some there is some context around that right like jack conklin was coming off of a really bad knee injury when they had to make the decision on his fifth year option. And, you know, when he had come back from that injury, you know, he hadn't played that great because he was recovering from the injury, but there was certainly, it was understood at the time. And I understood when they didn't pick up his option that look, we want to see him be healthy for a year and put it back together here and get back to the level that he was in the first, you know, little bit of his career before the knee injury, before we commit to him, you know, for big money. And, you know, that apparently, and and we've heard that that's, that rubbed Conklin the wrong way. And that's part of why he ended up signing elsewhere. The Titans did try to re-sign Jack Conklin uh, after his fourth year. And he obviously chose to go to Cleveland. So, yeah. So, all right. So that's that situation. Uh, Corey Davis, nobody would have, picked up Corey Davis's fifth year option uh, coming off of the year that he had in 2019. Nobody. I mean, he had what 600 year, 600 yards and like two touchdowns or something like that uh, had been dealing with turf toe for most of the year, but really was a non-factor or a very limited factor down the stretch of that season, despite the offense really taking off. Right. And his fifth year option, it should also be noted was like $16 million, which would have been insane for them to pick up. So they decline that option. He goes out, has a really good year, gets paid in the offseason. Uh, Adoree Jackson, again, the, the injury just happened at a different time, right? He, he's coming off of a good year. They go ahead and pick up his option. Then he gets hurt and has this weird year from hell, and they end up releasing him to get out of the money. So, yeah, that, that track record isn't great. Um, you would like all the guys that you're picking in the first round to end up being long-term pieces of the franchise. That's your goal every time is to find a foundational piece of the franchise that's going to be with you for 10 years. Um, it hasn't worked out. You know, he's 0 for 3 so far, and Rashawn Evans is trending in a bad direction. So likely to go 0 for 4. Jeffrey Simmons looks good. We already know that one's a, a complete tank job in Isaiah Wilson. Uh, we'll see what Caleb Farley does. But, yes, that, he has a valid point that there are there are some things that that is a questionable track record in the first round. Now, 
I also think you have to look at the whole picture with John Robinson, right? Like you can't just say, how has he done on first round picks and make that your basis of how good he is as a general manager, because that's just one part of his job. He also has done a really good job at finding talent in the second and third rounds. He's picked uh, three pro bowl players in, in the second and third round in his first, what, four or five drafts, uh, AJ Brown, Kevin Byer, Derek Henry, uh, two of those guys have been all pros. Uh, AJ Brown will probably be an all pro before it's all said and done at some point. So he's found really good talent there. Nate Davis has been a long-term starter that he found in the third round. It, he's done well in other parts of the draft and he's done well with, he's done really well with trades and he's done pretty well with free agency too. I mean, Roger Saffold was a great pickup. Ben Jones was a great pickup. Uh, he's had his misses for sure. You know, Vic Beasley, J. David Clowney, all that, but Overall, it's about are you steering this roster in a good direction? I don't think anyone would say this roster is worse off today than it was when John Robinson took it over five years ago. So he's clearly moved the ball in the right direction. Now, he's not perfect. And people that just say, okay, well, blind faith in him on every single move, that's misguided at this point. We've seen him fail and have major issues, and, and there have been major, major misses. But I still, at the end of the day, the reason it's not talked about is because they went 11 and five and won the division last year. You know, that, that at the end of the day, it's about wins and losses and nobody would give a shit if it was the other way around and they went five and 11, but Hey, their first round pick was really good. Nobody would give two shits about how good the first round pick was. Right. So that's why this isn't being talked about. Yes. He makes some valid points in, in the whole thing about Caleb Farley's medicals, you know, I'm not a doctor, you know, they have doctors, the Titans have doctors, the Titans doctors believe it was fine. Uh, clearly their doctors had a lower grade on his medicals, whatever, you know, we'll see what, what that pans out to be. But yeah, I, I think it's a little bit of just taking a pot shot in the media, I think, but he does bring up a valid point about the first round picks. Cause that, that is the biggest, uh, I think weakness in John Robinson's resume to this point. Yeah, I, I was going to start off talking about the, the that line. The medical was terrible. I am a doctor, and I don't believe that that is true. <laughs> and I've been saying it. We've I've been saying it for months. When Caleb Farley first got on the radar with that second back surgery, that there's no way the medicals were going to be terrible. I think I think that right there is your the part that is the anonymous, uh, you know, hiding behind anonymity and just you know trashing a team. That's that part. But he does bring up points, but you're, you're right, Mike. It's not being talked about because even with the worst, one of the worst off seasons I can remember for this Tennessee Titans team in 2020, right? Jadane Clowney was a bust. Vic Beasley was a bust. We were starting Jonathan Joseph, you know, every a few weeks. I mean, Adore Jackson, our fifth round, uh, our fifth year option. He had that weird off season, like you said. Isaiah Wilson never played. Taylor Lewan went down. I mean, just domino after domino after domino just kept falling against the Tennessee Titans, and they still went 11-5. and five. That is credit to John Robinson. And I want these things that have been brought up in this article to be fixed, right? I want, you know, fifth-year options to be able to be picked up because he hit on his first-round picks. And that, that is the problem, is that technically, if you don't pick up your fifth-year options, really, and don't extend them, and they go to another team, that's really an indictment on your scouting process or 
an indictment on your developing players process, whether that's coaches like Jim Hazlitt, who has no business being in the NFL anymore, um, ruining Rashawn Evans at some point. You know, it's it's stuff like that. There's there's multiple things that can go wrong with the first round pick, right? There are some first round picks that are Isaiah that are like Isaiah Wilson. There are some that just never stay healthy, and that's not something you can technically have control over. But as much as I want to have those first-round picks, you're, you're right. I'm not trading first-round pick success for wins and losses. And at the end of the day, a GM needs to be judged on the talent he has provided his coaches to provide a winning record. He hired the right coaches, head coach. I know that there's a huge red flag with Shane Bowen and Todd Downing because there hasn't been a lot given to Todd Downing who didn't really have too much success in Oakland and we didn't really see John Robinson restock the cupboard. The, the draft is a little iffy because the Rashad Weaver story. And then you have uh, emphasis on special teams. It's, it's granted our special teams suck, but maybe a little too much emphasis in that direction. And then you let Vrabel keep Shane Bowen around. And you sided with Vrabel and Bowen saying that it was the players, right? This is the players' fault. And you went and got them all new players. Well, if that fails and all that just has a, a big failure, that then there are legitimate questions about John Robinson. But it also is going to be tied to the win-loss record. If he comes in and he's 11 and 6 or they're 12 and 5 or what it, it, I think that all equals out to 17. Um then it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, they they won games, and they won games, and this seventh easiest schedule bullshit is bullshit. You're trying to tell me that a Tennessee Titans team that has to go up against the Saints, the entire NFC West, the uh, the Bills, the Patriots, and then you also have uh, the Steelers and Chiefs. the Chiefs? That's in seventh easiest schedule. You're out of your fucking mind. I get it that they get to play the Jaguars and the Texans, probably Sands to Sean Watson, and they get to play, you know, like the, the Jets. But hell, the Dolphins are still a tough team, and they yeah. have to play the Dolphins. This is not a seventh easiest schedule. So if they come out of here with double digit wins, you know, and an AFC South title reign, it doesn't really matter. It, now, will this all catch up to John Robinson at some point? It could, but there are plenty of teams like the New England Patriots that uh, I, I know they had a disaster last year, but it never caught up to them. And, you know, it comes that back down to John Robinson, who made a ridiculously simple trade for the the for Ryan Tannehill. I mean, like no backlash, right? Low risk, high reward kind of trade. I, I probably I shouldn't have said simple because it was an awesome trade. And and we and we saw him get a quarterback that is performing out of out of his mind that he, at a level that they've never seen before. And you got Derrick Henry in the second round. You got AJ Brown in the second round. Yes, all that stuff could 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 go downhill quick. You never know. But he's made appropriate moves to set this this team up for the future. It's just like every other NFL team. It's got to hit at some point, and it has been hitting for the Tennessee Titans. It's been a winning record. Every year since he's been here. I mean, I don't know what I know. Everybody wants a Super Bowl and I want a Super Bowl, but it, it, this is the guy that can take you. He's a Super Bowl winning GM. I think Mike Vrabel is a Super Bowl winning head coach. It co does come down to the ability of the players to live up to their expectations. 
Well said. And I, I do, I guess it, it bothers me that you start look, trying to compare, like Mike was saying, and Zach, you followed up with, you start trying to compare first round success over wins and losses or two wins and losses. When at the end of the day, that's the only thing that matters, you know, and then to kind of rotate into what you were just saying, Zach, about seventh easiest schedule. I mean, don't give me any of that shit because different teams get hot different teams come into the season with big expectations and then they fall off, whatever it is. It, it truly is any given Sunday. And it doesn't, I mean, we always joke about the Titans splitting with the Jags or with the Colts or something, right? I mean, it's, it, it never fails. Start playing division rivals. All that stuff goes out the window about who's easier to play and who's not. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it really comes down to wins and losses. And if that translates to what John Robinson and Mike Vrabel are doing right now, I'll, I'll take it. There's certainly questions about what's happened, especially in the first round. That's been a big problem. But if it keeps going on the trajectory it's at and the Titans keep winning and keep improving, I'm okay with it. Keep doing it. I mean, keep rolling with it. You know, let's just keep rolling with it. So um, the last thing I wanted us to talk about before we wrap up the podcast today was um, – on offense and defense, kind of, you know, who's that one player, the one X factor, maybe the one position X factor um, that you feel like that the Titans have to have success at? Um, we'll start with offense first. Mike, who who on offense, what position group, or what player do you feel like is that X factor that has to succeed this year? So for me, I, it's not necessarily for me that he has to succeed, but that, that I think if he does, he completely changes the uh, – dynamic of the offense and I think Darrington Evans is that guy for me because you know we saw him a little bit used last year I don't I don't you know he's not obviously going to have a starting job uh necessarily uh, he's going to probably get some third down work he's going to get some uh series here and there you know I think they're probably going to work in some two-back stuff with him and, and Derrick Henry but I think his speed and ability to you know be a game breaker uh, in, in the passing game. And also, you know, from the backfield um, is very interesting to me. And, and he's got like, very clearly we saw it, even in the limited reps we saw last year, that burst and, and just different level speed. Uh, he's got that in, in his package. So I, I think, Darrington Evans to me stands out as a guy that if if he can get, come off the bench and give you something in the passing game, give you something on third downs, and really be that compliment to Derrick Henry uh, that they've never really truly had. I mean, Deion Lewis obviously was really struggling uh, when he was with him. Jeremy McNichols is just kind of eh, uh, you know. But if Darrington Evans could be that compliment to Derrick Henry and really give them uh, a, a lightning to go with Henry's thunder. Um, that would be very interesting to me. And I think that could give them a different element in, in the offense. Cause that speed that he's got is different from the rest of the guys in this offense right now. And, and that to me stands out and kind of makes him an X factor for them on that side of the ball. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think that's a good one. The, and, and the reason I'm, I, I kind of like that is because of what we saw with Ta Todd Downing, back in 2017, when you're looking at, you know, targets, DeAndre Washington, 45 targets, Jalen Richard, 36 targets, Marshawn Lentz, 31 targets. You know, last, last year, 
we only targeted, we only saw the Tennessee Titans target running backs 54 times. Those are just almost just, I mean, like you're talking about 45 plus 36 and um, 31. I mean, that's, that's almost over a hundred. That's over a hundred targets to the running backs in Todd Downing's offense. And obviously I know that Derrick Henry, it seems like we talk about this every year. Derrick Henry is working on his pass catching and Derrick Henry's doing this and doing that. Yeah. He takes some big ones to the house on the screen game and stuff like that. But I, I do agree. I think Darrington Evans is a name to watch. I'm going to go with the next factor that everybody has hyped on or hyped up this entire off season. I think you're going to have to have a big year out of Anthony Ferkser. You're obviously going to have to have his best year, right? I mean, with Johnny Smith gone, Adam Humphrey's gone. Anthony Ferkser is that tight end. Also that big slot, according to Mike Keith, just a couple of weeks ago on the uh, official Titans podcast, you're, you have to get a, a career year, but not only a career year, you're going to have to get like, a lot of yards out of Anthony Ferkser, and you, he's going to have to make up some ground on some touchdowns. He averages one touchdown a year, uh, and he and it's literally one touchdown his first year, one touchdown second year, and one touchdown last year. He's going to have to get into the end zone more often when he gets the ball in his hands. Now, whether that's being targeted more in the end zone as the big slot or as a tight end or carrying some balls to the house and breaking some tackles like Johnny Smith can, he's got to up his game. And I know people believe that this undrafted free agent can do that, right? <laughs> like not to down undrafted free agents and not to say that they can't be successful, but the likelihood is stacked against them. And we are huge, huge Anthony Ferkser fans. You're not going to find a podcast that has loved Anthony Ferkser more. You're not going to find an analyst in Mike that has loved Anthony Ferkser more, but there is a difference between loving a player and being realistic about a player. And this guy has the world on his shoulders right now. The burden is on him to be something that he has kind of shown that he can be, but he's going to have to do it. He's going to have to get on the field, get the ball in his hands, get into the end zone, break some tackles, be that game changer that I think the Tennessee Titans believe that he can be. Yeah, and I would agree with that one too. He's he's got a lot on his plate. I'm gonna go the route that's maybe a little maybe it's a little cheesy, but I'm gonna go with Titans at kicker. I mean, the Titans have who right now on the roster? Tucker McCann, Tucker and McCann, it. and and Blake Hobbiel. Yeah, the so Ohio State kicker. The and and I know this is a I know this is a lot to ask of a kicker, but the Titans have to pick up and start a kicker that basically needs to be non-existent in the drama route this year right i mean no just look go out there and please just kick field goals and don't miss them i get it if you're missing 45 plus 55 plus occasionally but the titans don't need that x factor to go wrong on special teams of of trying to kick a ball through the uprights and this has been going on for two years now with the Titans, and it's it's pretty uncharacteristic. I mean, growing up watching the Titans for two decades, the Titans were not a team that had problems with kickers. But you don't need them in situations where the Titans are they need that one game advantage to you know get a better seating in the playoffs or whatever it is. The Titans need a kicker that's going to be consistent, and I don't know where that's going to come from right now. And it, it, that, that kind of bothers me a little bit. Of all the positions on offense, the, what kind of bothers me right now is kicking. 
the Titans need to pick up a kicker. And it needs to be consistent. And and I think it's going to be interesting to watch too because I, I do think based on them picking up Habiel and and who knows they, he might get caught after rookie minicamp this weekend. They may just want to get a look at him and and if he doesn't show well, he may not stick around. But as it stands right now, if he does stick around past rookie mini, mini camp and is coming into training camp along with Tucker McCann, it would be very strange for the Titans to have three kickers on the roster in camp. So my guess is if he does stick and he is on the roster still uh, come training camp that Habiel and uh, McCann are kind of set up to duel it out and that they're going to go with one of those two rookies as the kicker this year, most likely. Now, I guess you could get into camp and you could have a situation where they're just both failing and it looks awful and the Titans pivot and call Steven Goskowski and ask him how much he needs to come back and they just make it happen. Um, but yeah, it kind of, it kind of looks to me like they're set to go young at the kicker position, which is fine. Um, as long as one of them can, uh, can show that they can do it consistently. But um, yeah, that, that'll be something very interesting to watch through training train camp and preseason. Yeah. Um, and li- listen to this uh, speak about Blake Hobble, 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 Hobble. I'm not a hundred percent sure on this one. Uh, he's never missed a f- extra point in his career at the college level. And that's, that's pretty rare. College kickers start missing some stuff and he has a 70% uh, or sorry, a career of 80% on just field goals made. Now I'm trying to look up to see um, he, his long, I don't was a know what the long yarder. Is. Well, I mean, yards. that's still pretty good for a young guy. He, I mean, if you're and he hit 61 in high school. Yeah. So a, a perfect extra point kicker mixed with a guy who has 80% um, success rate on kicks longer than extra point or just regular field goals. That's, that's pretty good. I, I, I think that the, he has a good chance of sticking the roster and probably even pushing Tucker McCann out. I kind of think so too. Um, and he also, he has, and then the I'll learn coolest- his name once he makes the team. He has the coolest onside kick uh, I've ever seen. Uh, if you look up, I, I tweeted out of uh, maybe a week ago or so, but I'm unbelievable. He, it was kind of a surprise onside kick. He kicks it. It looks like he threw a sideline fade to Chris Olave, the, the uh, Ohio State wide receiver. He kicks it in the air from the tee, and it drops right in stride into Olave's hands uh, on the sidelines for to recover an onside kick on a surprise uh, kickoff. So that, yeah, that was fantastic. What a genius play, like it play was. design. Because, I mean, that's how you should be kicking onside kicks, I feel like, except making it bounce or whatever, because I know the point is make it bounce and they hopefully bobble it. But why not just kick it like that and hope that your A.J. Brown can go get that for your uh, – recover that. That's how yeah, I kind of view it. Maybe they'll uh, borrow that play. Yeah. That sounds like Happy Gilmore. I don't know, just hit it in the hole the first time anyway. That's a lot easier than putting. (laughs) (laughs) So let's flip to defense. Um, Zach, who on defense is your X Factor this year? You know, it's it was pretty tough uh, to come up with someone, but I am going to go with Amani Hooker. And there's no Malcolm Butler on this team. There is no Kenny Vaccaro. And those two guys, more than anybody, I think, over the last two years, have been trendsetters game tone setters a better better way and you know without Kenny Vaccaro there they're gonna ask a lot more on Amani Hooker and I think you know I'm not as skeptical as I am with Ferkser or, or with uh Hooker as I was with Ferkser 
Hooker, I think, can step in and provide a lot for this defense. But, you know, he's going to have to take on that. I, I think someone's going to have to take on that role. And I think that Amani Hooker is that guy to take on that trend-setting role. We've seen him kind of get a little hyped up after he makes a tackle or makes a good play. But you, you saw Kenny Vaccaro and Malcolm Butler do it, and specifically Kenny Vaccaro in the Patriots game, then Malcolm Butler in the Buffalo game last year. And there are a lot of other games where they have set that tone. And you kind of know, oh, the defense came to play today. And I think that Amani Hooker needs to be that X-factor kind of player and just take over and, and be that chip on a shoulder, hit you in the mouth kind of player that sets the tone for the defense. Yeah, and I like that one. I think I think Hooker definitely has, uh, you know, he's stepping into a starting role for the first time. Um, you know, that's that's he needs to play well, and the entire se- secondary needs to play well. And that's where I'm going to with mine is um, with Christian Fulton. And I've I've talked about him for a little while, but Fulton to me, I mean, the Titans. He's the only returning member of the cornerback room, basically, uh, you know, at least among the top group, uh, Breon borders and, um, Chris Jackson were tex- technically there, but you wouldn't expect either one of those guys to really be competing for snaps, uh, to start the season. So Christian Fulton to me stands out as, as a guy that if the Titans get out of him, what a lot of people thought that he was coming out. And, and again, remember this guy was, I think, PFF's like 12th or, or, or something rated player overall. Um, I had him really high. I had him as my clear cornerback number three uh, in last year's class. I thought he was going to go way before pick uh, 29, much less pick 61. So he had a lot of fans coming out, including me. Um, he obviously didn't have the rookie year that he would have liked to have, that anyone would have liked him to have the injuries, the hamstring and training camp. Uh, then the hamstring comes up again during the season. You know, he had some issues staying on the field, and, and we've seen that a lot with rookies coming in. And I think that, not to get off on tangent, but I think that goes back to training for the combine and all that stuff and everything that you're doing that's not related to getting ready for a football season and disrupting your routine uh, and then suddenly getting thrown into training camp where you're competing at a much higher level. I, I think that that all plays into that factor. But anyways... Fulton, to me, I know what you're getting out of Jackrabbit. You think you know what you're getting out of Farley if he stays healthy, right? And, and you know, you could make an argument for me that, that Farley's an X factor too. But Fulton, if he is a, a, a guy for you, like if he can come in and be uh, above average to even maybe really good starting corner, all of a sudden your secondary starting to look pretty damn good. Cause you've got Jack rabbit who's still playing at a high level. You've got Fulton, you've got Farley, your first round pick. Who's you know talented out of this world. You've got Elijah Molden who shouldn't be counted out for some sort of role, or at least being in the rotation at the cornerback spot in the slot. So to me, if Fulton can be a, a good player for them, it, that lifts the whole, you know, ceiling for this secondary and for the defense overall, because then you're starting to look at a really good cornerback room and that could be a game changer for, you know, the pass rush and, and everything else that the Titans want to do, allowing everyone else to play more aggressively because they know on the back end they're covered. Um, and I think Fulton to me is kind of that uh, key point uh, in the secondary that if he's really good, they're going to be really good defensively. 
Mine is, it, it's probably a little bit unfair, and I had to choose, you know, which player I wanted to go with uh, in the pass rush, but I'm going with Bud Dupree. I mean, I, I think Bud Dupree needs to show up and have an immediate effect, and I think someone needs to take a, an, a I think someone needs to take a leadership role in that pass rushing department of just setting an example. And I think Bud Dupree could be that person of, look, you've separated yourself from TJ Watt and the rest of that group that you were successful with in Pittsburgh. And the Tennessee Titans obviously had an absolute atrocious pass rush last year, burning $20 million on Clowney and, and uh, Beasley. So Bud Dupree could be that guy who shows up, has some success, has some production and shows the rest of that, you know, pass rush room that, you know, look, we, we can be successful and be a hell of a lot better than we were in 2020. So it's probably unfair to put that on Bud Dupree. I mean, I, pro- I just had to choose between he and Autry, but Bud Dupree could be that person to show up and say, look, I'm not just the guy who is feeding off TJ Watt's success. You know, I, I'm at my own actual individual player. And I, you know, I believe that I can be the person to help fix this pass rush. So for me, it's Bud Dupree needs to show up and be an immediate impact and start. They need to start getting to the quarterback. Yeah, I almost went, I almost went that. And I I think you bring up a good point that is often untalked about, or maybe we we've talked about it because I've I've heard Mike mention it before, but that leadership role that Bud Dupree needs to step into, I think that makes, that is a good point in that, we, we know from the way he's talked about in Pittsburgh that he was sort of that kind of vocal leader, go-getter kind of guy. And you, you want to see that being brought over here. Uh, we also know that he's been training with Rashad Weaver here and there. So I think there is a good start to this. I think Bud Dupree is that leader that you're looking for. And I think that's, I think that's a good point about Bud Dupree. As much as we need to see the pat him be a pass rusher, we need him to be a little bit more than just that. Right. I mean, this, the, he's here long-term, you know, you're, you're here for five years. Granted you can get cut and it's a business and everything, but the Tennessee Titans expect you to be here for the long haul, the, for the majority of the rest of your career pretty much i mean you gotta think eventually it will fall off but you got to step up and be a two-tone bleed two-tone blue kind of guy for this locker room and for this defense and i think that's what they're expecting of him and i think you're right to expect that of him and that is a true that's a true x-factor take well it's just that go ahead mike given what they paid him you know that that's what they're expecting him to be you know i i think you don't pay him that kind of money if, if you don't think he can be kind of the guy uh, on that defense. So uh, he needs to be and you know, I think that's the expectation here. And, and I I'm interested to see what effect his presence has on Harold Landry. Cause we talked, we've talked about this a little bit before, but Harold Landry, when he had Cameron Wake on the opposite side of him was a totally different animal than when he's had anyone else that they've kind of rotated through there. Um, and I, I'm interested to see if Bud Dupree can kind of, unlock the pass rushing potential of Harold Landry. Cause I still think it's there. I, I'm still a Landry believer. Right. And that's, that's why I think, I mean, I think he can help unlock that. It bringing in two mercenaries last year did nothing for this pass rush. It, it, it arguably made it worse. Right. And so the Titans defense as a whole needs someone who's vocal and 
it can absolutely be a leader in the locker room, but that pass rush needs a vocal leader as well. And someone to inspire and say, you're not going to be the dregs and the, the bullshit bottom of the pass rush in the league this year. You know, we're going to get to the quarterback. We're going to be effective out there. We're definitely going to be that group, that crew that you have to worry about. And who does that sound like? That sounds like the Pittsburgh Steelers last year. The Steelers had a lot of problems, but when it came to the pass rush, you always had to believe that they were going to find a way to get to the quarterback. And this is a good way to separate himself from, from TJ Watt and, and the comparisons of, Oh, you're just, you know, you're feeding off TJ Watt success. He could come in and immediately make the Titans pass rush. I mean, <laughs> there's only one way to go, but up from last year, but he, he absolutely could make an impact immediately. Um, we have talked y'all's face off this morning. I hope you're happy because when it comes to the offseason, sometimes there's not a lot to talk about. 104.5 is on the air right now talking about the Nashville uh, Mount Rushmore of Again. sports. Like, uh, what are we doing? Good God, that radio station needs a kick in the ass. But I, I, uh, I, I do have to say I got a little misty last night when Pekka got the shutout. Now, that, that was beautiful. Was, uh, uh, it got a little dusty in the room yeah. when, uh, when that was happening, and he was taking his lap around the, the rink. That was fun. That's good. Good for Pecks. Or as Joe Rexrode put it this week, win one for the Pecker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go it. win one for the Pecker. I uh, love that shirt. Thank you all, as always, for tuning in. Spend football and other F-words. Again, you can check us all out at broadwaysportsmedia.com. We would love to have you over there. You can find our podcast, articles by Mike, articles by Zach, anything covering the Tennessee Titans and the NFL as a whole. So come check us out, broadwaysportsmedia.com. Again, this has been football and other F-words, and you've just been effed. A Broadway Sports Media Production.